0: Man, has the, has the reality of Jesus impacted your life this week? Has the reality that it is it was he who has given you breath, given you life, given you health, given you strength, he is your great provision this week? There's a sense that we may be a little distracted this morning. March Madness may have us mad, thinking about our brackets, busted already. But let me tell you, we're talking about something that's bigger than a bracket. Someone who's bigger than the NCAA, he's bigger than your team, my team, their team. He's bigger because we need to be on his team. Because his team is the only team that really matters this morning So may we put everything in perspective in its place as we consider the things of God this morning. Amen. Praise God for the praise and worship this morning. Helping us to see just how awesome God is and the fact that Jesus is real. Because there may be someone here today who who has been going through life and just haven't experienced the goodness of Jesus because they have not cried out to him. They have not called upon him. They have not trusted him. And they're trying to figure out, is this Jesus real? My prayer is that through the preached word this morning, you will experience Jesus in a new, fresh, and exciting way. Praise God for the baptisms this morning. If you need proof that Jesus is real, just look at that water this morning. Because people just don't do that, especially in the culture that says everything about Christianity is stupid, dumb, and we shouldn't be concerned about it, but for a family to come to Christ and another man to come to Christ definitely points to the fact that Jesus is real. Greetings to you this morning. Forest Baptist Church, indeed, it's a privilege and an honor to be before you once again. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the fifth chapter. Genesis, the fifth chapter. And as you do, in, pre- in preparation for this sermon, was praying how we could continue the study of stewardship this week. And one area that we need to be continually reminded about our stewardship and what we do with it is the family. We need to be good stewards of the family. Good stewards just because of the purpose of the family, the impact the family has, and what God has commissioned the family to do. We must be good stewards of the family. So as we come to Genesis, the fifth chapter, Let us do so with great expectation for what God is able to do. Genesis, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enoch lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered, he fathered Mah- Mahalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, the days of Jared Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His word. Let us pray. Father, have mercy upon us this morning, please. Have mercy upon us by giving us eyes to see and ears to hear by giving us soft hearts moldable in your hands. Father, please incline our hearts towards your testimony this morning, the testimony of your word. May you speak to us. Open up our eyes that we may behold beautiful and wonderful things in your word. For every jot and tittle is important. Every word in this holy book is important. Father, may you unite our hearts to feel your name and your name alone. For our attentions are often divided. Father, make us singularly focused upon you this morning. And Father, please satisfy us as only you can through your word. Encourage us and equip us for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider? why your family matters why does your family matter to the world and in the grand scheme of things what is the purpose of your family does your family serve a purpose I mean I'm sure many of us we we will say our families are important and, and we think about our families we care about our families But I guess a better question is, why should your family matter to me? Or why should your family matter to the onlooking world that is out there? But why? I mean, yeah, I I should care about your family. I mean, statistics prove that when your family do good, I do good. So in a way, I am looking for your family to do well. But there's a reason apart from personal pleasure and benefit and gain of why family matters. If, if family does not matter apart from personal gain or pleasure, then the family is pretty shallow. But what if I told you this morning that your family does matter? And it actually has nothing to do with you. What if I told you that your family matters because it has been uniquely created and crafted to complete a mission like none other? Your family matters because the family has purpose. The family matters because it is a divinely created means for the propagation of the gospel and the expansion of the worship of God throughout creation. And when your family has purpose, your family has clarity. And when your family understands its purpose and has clarity, then your family has direction. And when your family has direction, then your family can take action to do something. I mean, really, haven't haven't you ever felt stuck in your family? Have you ever felt like something's missing, something's wrong, something is not taking place? You're missing something, and I believe this is from not having clarity of purpose. You may be thinking, I mean, Pastor, that sounds good, but you don't know my family. I don't, I don't like my family. They get on my nerves. They bother me all the time. I really can do well without them being around. I mean, Pastor, we, we have these situations, difficulties, trials, issues, arguments, How can my family really have a purpose? And you're right, I I don't know exactly what's going on in your family right now. But what I do know is that God has commissioned the family to spread his glory throughout all of creation, and that gives your family purpose. Your family matters not because what you bring to the table, but because of what God has already decreed. Let us walk through this passage, this text of scripture this morning, and see what God has to say about your purpose. Here is a prime example why the whole Bible matters. Who reads a genealogy to learn something? But God is saying through this genealogy, I got something for you. Just read me. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the children of Israel. He's leaving a historical record of of, of the beginnings. Moses writes the book of Genesis. And as he is doing, he he, he is showing in chapter 5 the results of what God has put in motion in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. In chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, God has commanded man to multiply, to expand the worship of him over all of creation. So you have this plan by God taking place and and man beginning to multiply upon the face of the earth. And worship of him is expanding. You see, even during this period of time, this period of time, if if, if we look at it literally, it's, it's... some 1600 years and with the length of days these men are living they their lives were actually overlapping. So you pretty much had Adam around the time when Methuselah was living. Able to share face to face what it was like to walk with God in the cool of the day. What it was like to be chilling one day, fall asleep, and wake up, and your wife is there. He's able to share all these experiences firsthand. This, the propagation of the gospel, that though we have fallen into sin, God has promised one will come to rescue us throughout the generations. And here we have a story of the first family, No, not President Obama and his family. The first created family. This genealogical account begins by pointing back to the creation narrative, and it reveals that the family's purpose is to expand worship. Verses 1 and 2, this is the book of the generations of Adam. This is the, the record of the family of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. Last week, I, it was interesting, I read an article. And in that article, it was talking about this one family who had moved into a, a pretty upscale city and had bought this, this mansion, this really nice house, and they began to... Uh, renovate the house. They had put something like $30,000 in, in the house already and then one day they get a, a notice from the city council that, that eviction proceedings was going to start over the house that they had purchased. And they, there was a the question because this family, they, they had been paying everything on time, the, the city taxes, the water, everything was up to date they weren't loud and rambunctious they weren't causing a lot of problems so there was some some question as why would they be evicted see but what the problem was this 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 single family home was being inhabited by 11 individuals and the 11 individuals weren't just one big family it was actually three couples two singles and their children but what they had done, they moved into this house under the guise of family. And the city had got word that this family was living in this mansion, but their definition of family didn't match what they were doing as family. So at this point, there's a disagreement about what is family and how do you define it? See, the problem there is not a philosophical problem. It's a theological problem. Because you have man trying to define what the family is even after God has defined it for us already. And in God's definition of family, it is, it is not just a bunch of people, a collection of individuals who live under the same roof who kind of hang out together who pay rent together, pay bills together, just because they think it's nice or inexpensive. And the issue is if we can't agree upon what constitutes a family, then we can never agree upon what the purpose of the family is. So from scripture we see God commissioned the family to expand his glory throughout his creation. That is the purpose of family. Here in, in verses 1 and 2, by, by pointing back to the creation narrative in chapters 1 and 2, we're, we're, we're looking up upon a divine commissioning service. That's what it is. To, to have something commissioned is, uh, uh, you can commission a work of art, you can commission the building of a, of a boat, but, the, but what it is is something is being put together for a purpose to be used. So when we look at this text and see that it explains that when God created man and it finishes when they were created in the garden of Eden, God was having a divine commissioning service when he created Adam and Eve. Specifically, chapter one, verses 26 through 30. And it says, then God said, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. As part of this commissioning service, we see that man receives his identity. So God created man in his own image, the likeness of God, the the Imago Dei. And what that means is man has been uniquely created, unlike any other animal or creature in creation, to, not, to reflect God within his, in the earth and to respond to God. There are certain capacities that, that man has that an animal does not have. Ability to reason, a moral consciousness. There are is, there is some specific things that were given to man that set him apart. But in doing that, in, in creating man after his likeness, God was actually giving man his identity. Because he will look back, I know who created me, and I know what I'm made for. Those are like two of the biggest questions in regards to identity right now. A person who doesn't understand who they are, they they can't answer, why have I been made, and what am I here for? And God clearly lays that out. But not only does he lay that out for them, because man is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, because they reflect him they inherently have value dignity and worth inherently it's innate to man it's because we have been created in the image of God apart from anything else we have value dignity and worth in regards to your identity If I don't understand my value, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. If I don't know I'm I'm, I'm worth something, I'm I'm running around everywhere trying to get somebody to to buy me, to pay me, to, to make me feel valuable. So God, in this divine commissioning service, he is giving man an identity, but not only that, he is giving man community. He created him male and female. When God creates Adam. And Eve, early on when he first creates Adam, God says in his word, it is not good that man should be alone. I mean, some dudes want to be alone. Like, I'm, I'm going to be in the man cave. You know, I'm alone. By but God knew it. That, that is not good. It is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And, and not because God wasn't enough. But because in the imago Day, what God wanted man to do is reflect that unique relationship that the triune God had with himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a wonderful relationship with one another, having their loving and caring and serving one another. So this relationship, so man needed someone like himself. He couldn't get it in with God. God is too great for all that. So he created someone like him, to be in relationship with. Not only did God give him community, but then he gave man the means to fulfill the mission, provision. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. We can stop right there because what God is doing right here, right there is be fruitful because of what I have given you already, Now begin to procreate. The the family comes into play. Expand your family and fill up this entire earth with my reflection. Because I've created you in my image. So as you multiply, it's going to be a lot more of my reflections over this creation. So God has given man provision, the means, the, the family is now the vehicle by which the expansion of the glory of God will take place. This divine commissioning service provides man with everything he needs to to take his marching orders, this, this dominion mandate to, to work and subdue and, and to have and, and to take charge over what God has given man. Because man would be God's ambassadors in the world. So ultimately, looking here in Genesis 1, we see that the, pur- the whole purpose of man is that we would act as God's earthly representatives, an ambassador. We see... We- just this week, we had some comments about our ambassador and, and going over to various countries. And there's, there's the, the ambassador for the United States is always going somewhere to represent us, to represent. OK, let me, let me back it up some. You know when you really don't want to go somewhere? So you call your sister, brother, cousin, and say, how about you go represent the family for us? but in this case, it wasn't a case of God not wanting to go, but he was setting up a plan, a beautiful plan to use man in, his, in this redemption of creation. Man would work until the garden, expanding the garden, expanding that holy of holies over all of creation, and the, the, the glory of God would come forth, and worship of God would come forth, and it would radiate from the center And even now, this mandate has not changed for Christians. Only instead of working and tilling the ground of the earth, God has given us the responsibility to work and till the ground of hearts in this world. Our marching orders, our purpose has not changed. Our king has only clarified our purposes. Our King Jesus now declares in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's still that mandate to expand the worship of God through our creation. Now we know we, we expand it by preaching, teaching, talking, living, living, for Jesus. The family matters. Because it is, the, it is the divinely created means for the propagation of the gospel. And the expansion of the worship of God throughout the earth. In Genesis 12, we, 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 we see this happening. In, in, in God's call to Abraham, Genesis 12 and 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now I will make you a great nation. This, from, from him uh, many people will come and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the family is the means by which the gospel will go out and be spread across this world. Because God has commissioned us, we still have the explicit purpose of expanding the worship of God by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples for him. That's our purpose. That's your family's purpose. Families expand the worship of of God by the way they talk. Families expand the worship of God by the way they walk. Families expand the worship of God by the way they act, look, dress, how they respond in creation. Your, Your family is more than just a bunch of people who like you, who give you stuff for your personal pleasure, your your personal piggy bank. Your family has a purpose and because your family has purpose, your family matters. We think too low of our families. We need to esteem our families as God esteemed the family. The family's purpose is to expand this worship, but however... If you're anything like me, then you have great difficulties accomplishing this purpose. If if your family is anything like mine, then then you have a hard time of always reflecting Jesus to this world. If your family is anything like my family, then there has been hurt, harm, and pain. This is because the family is under constant attack from the curse of sin and has been wounded. I won't read it all, but go with me back to the fifth chapter in, in, in verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness. After his image and named him Seth. the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred thirty years, and he died. When Seth had lived one hundred and five years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh eight hundred seven years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were nine hundred twelve years, and he died. He died. You know, when people ask me where I'm from, and I tell them that I'm from Michigan, they like, "Oh, yeah, whereabouts?" I said, "Well, I'm from Angster. Uh, you know, of course they don't know what that is. I said, well, Inks, there's a suburb of Detroit. So it's kind of like I'm from Detroit, but I'm not really from Detroit. But when I tell people that, I get one or two responses. I either get the response, you from Detroit? <laughs> or I get the response, you, oh, you from Detroit? <laughs> like, man. Really? Is, is, is it that bad? You know, and, and things are bad back in Michigan. Neighborhoods are run down. Houses are broken down. Crime is rampant. Things are really difficult. But you know what? Even though things are hard, the people, they're hanging on. You know, back when the housing market collapsed, and affecting in the nation, I tell everybody, that hit us three years before it hit anybody else. And when it did, there was such brokenness. And then Detroit became like the, the pinata for the news media uh, or, or other cities. We don't want to be like Detroit. And all of a sudden, just attacks just kept coming. No matter what CNN, CBS, it, it didn't matter. People were just always just attacking, attacking Detroit, attacking Detroit. And they got to the point where the people of Detroit came up with a saying called Detroit versus everybody. Detroit versus everybody because it seemed like everybody was attacking and heaping and piling and it kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. There, there seemed to be no relief in sight and it, it, it getting to the point where you're like, well, I guess we can be we encouraged because there's nowhere else to go but up. But you know what? Sometimes that's how our families feel. We feel like it's us against everybody. Every time we turn around, it's another situation, another problem, another issue, another burden, another attack, and they keep coming, and they keep rolling, and it's like people are heaping on our families, issue after issue, and problem after problem. And we begin to feel like, eh, nowhere else to go but up. And that's because sin is disruptive. Take a look at verse 3 again. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own, in his own likeness after his image. What the text is telling us there is that sin has so marred the Imago Dei that has so broken the image of God that Seth could not reflect the image of God. He had to reflect the image of his father. Sin had come into the the bloodstream of man, so instead of reflecting God, Seth will reflect his father and the sin that he bore. So now generationally this sin is 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 disruptive but it's continuing and it's causing problems throughout the family line this familial legacy this 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 line of Adam is causing problems and we see how it's causing problems when when the phrase is repeated and he died and he died and he died this is the ultimate curse of sin. Because in the garden, God had told Adam, for in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree, you shall surely, what? Die. die. And what Satan do? Satan came along, ah, oh, it ain't going to happen. You ain't going to die. Don't worry about it. Moses is showing us like, Yes, it is. And he died. And he died. This is in contrast to to what man had to be created for to live in harmony forever with God. The curse of sin has disrupted everything, not only lifespan. See, in the text it says, and he died because that's the ultimate extreme of death. But you better understand that sin has some other effects in your life. Because when we look over our families, we can't help but see the effects of sin. In our families, we can't help but see the effects of the curse. And just as death becomes a constant to this family and he died and he died and he died, our family is under constant attack. You know what our family's in attack by? I give you three things off the top. The world, Satan, and the flesh. my family, your family is being attacked, attacked each and every moment of every day by the world, Satan, and the flesh. The world. If we even just look out over into our society we see how the world is setting up abnormal images of the family and portraying them as they're, if they're normal. You know, just like a just like a song on the radio, if you play it enough, people will believe it and like it. And it's being played over and over and over again. And, and we see how family is, is, these shots are taken at the family. You can't get a smart husband on any TV show. Every, every dude just dumb. Or oh, take my wallet. Oh, there you go. Hey, children can't be obedient, they argue and call each other names all the time. Everything we see about the family says dysfunction, and you wonder why we so jacked up. And we're sitting at the the buffet table of Hollywood, just eating it and eating it and eating it and wondering why we're gaining weight in those areas. We're wondering why we're so snappy. We're wondering why we're so angry. We're wondering why why our children dress like they do, or talk like they do, or walk like they do. But we're sitting at the buffet table, eating and eating and eating. The world, not only the world, Satan. Satan has set up world systems. And he's using the internet, and he's using... He's using your, your, your 13, 14, 11, hold on. He's using your 7, 8, 9-year-old son's and daughter's smartphone to smuggle pornography before their eyes right now. And we don't even know it. Satan is setting up entire systems to destroy the family. Why does he hate the family so much? Because he hates God. And the family is intended to reflect that beautiful triune relationship and if the family reflects God and and Satan hates God, then Satan's going to hate the family because it represents God. Satan hates you. He hates your guts. He hates your children's guts. Your baby's guts. He would do anything to kill them right now. The lastly, I think is actually the, the most dangerous, the flesh. We have become such a selfish, self-centered people. And what happens is, in our familial relationships, if we're not getting what we want, doing what we want to do, Being pleased, being served. If if our families don't sit around us, we got issues. And the flesh rises up and we cuss everybody off and we go off, we leave, we come back, we leave, we come back, we break up, we divorce and say it's best for the children. The flesh is the worst of all, the flesh is most dangerous all coming for your and my families. But what's the big deal? Okay, sin is, we jacked up. But what's the big deal? The big deal is that broken relationships hinder the expansion of the worship of God. If Satan can jack up your family, if the world can break down your family, if you can self-destruct your own family, then guess what's not going to happen? Worship of God will not go forth. That's the issue. The worship of God is the issue, not you. Not your happiness. Not your, your house, your car, your job. It's the expansion of the worship of God. And if, if Satan can derail that in any way, then that purpose fails and if sin is able to cause the family to fail, then God's purposes will, for family will fall. But you know what? In the midst of all this death, ha, in the seventh generation, God in his grace gives us an inkling of hope. Look here in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365. Watch this. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Riding along, and he died, and he died. Satan's say, say cool, and he died, and he died, and all of a sudden it's like... What was that? Because Enoch didn't die. Enoch walked with God. It, 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 is, it is written that from the point of his son's birth, Enoch walked with God. And the Bible doesn't give us all exactly a... a of what this walk looked like with God, but we do know that it was a walk of faith. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the author has begun walking his readers through this faith hall of fame, and and, and he writes how God has overruled death in the case of Enoch. And he says in verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found. Why? Because God had taken him. Now why, now, now, watch this. This is interesting. Immediately after he talks about how Enoch, God took Enoch, it goes right into this. And he says, "Now, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So if, if anything we know about walking with God from Enoch, uh, that it demands faith. You must draw near to God and you must believe that God got something for you. That he rewards those who seek him. That there's blessing in walking with God. There's blessing in trusting God. God is using the life of Enoch to say, don't worry, trust me. Don't worry, trust me. Can we learn a little something from Enoch here? Because the family is under constant attack, we must place complete trust in God in order not to fail. Though the effects of sin has wounded your family, ask yourself: what would your family look like if you really trusted God? What would your family look like if you really walk with God? If you really put your faith, if you really exercise faith, if, 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 you, if you actually believe what God is saying. Instead of trying to fix your family yourself, what would it look like? Instead of trying to control everybody in the house, what would it look like? Instead of hiding behind your guilt and your shame, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to trust God with your family? What would it look like to trust God with your husband? What would it look like to trust God with your wife? What would it look like to trust God with your children, your, your, your possessions, everything that your family has? Trust God and press forward. This, this is Enoch was taking. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. So because there's hope, I can press. Because he didn't die. No, he didn't die. I can press. We're trusting God now. We're pressing forward. Jesus is calling us to press into life and into him. The family's purpose is to expand worship. The family's purpose is constantly under attack. But lastly, Jesus protects the family's purpose. Jesus protects the family purpose. As Moses closes this historical record, he comes upon upon one last family. And what's interesting, this is, What's interesting about this, this portion of scripture is the declaration that Lamech, Noah's father, made in verse 28. He says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. The burden of the curse has been upon Lamech and his family and it is hard and it is hurting and it is difficult and Lamech just cries out for help. Help! Help! Help me! Help me! Relief! This is a cry for help. If you know me, you know I love the history of World War II, parts of Vietnam. But one of my favorite movies was that movie with Mel Gibson in it, We Were Soldiers. I love that movie. It's a powerful movie about this colonel who, whose who's unit is called to make first contact with the Vietnamese in, during the Vietnam conflict, Colonel Hal Moore, and as he takes his unit in with just 400 soldiers, they find out that they have just landed on the doorsteps of the Vietnamese head base with over 4,000 troops. Day one comes, and they, they, they are fighting. They are dying. They're dying. They're laying down their lives to one another, but they're, but they're, but they're dug in. They're, 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 they've made their lines and they're able to keep the enemy back. But on day two, the enemy just comes down and floods in floods and droves and begins to overtake their positions. Right up to the gun line, face-to-face, there's hand-to-hand combat going on, and, and Colonel Hal Moore steps back, powerful scene, and he observes what's going on, and then he tells his lieutenant to call in Broken Arrow. And what Broken Arrow is, in, in, in military terms, it was the, the, the radio call for help. We've been overrun. We need all the available resources to drop bombs right now. Broken Arrow. And as he does, the, the bombs even get so close that some of his men are killed, but yet the artillery bomb, uh, the, the artillery was enough to keep them back to restore the lines, And when we look at this text, we have to see that this cry for help is going to be answered in one named Noah. Because if you know anything about Noah, it was Noah that God commanded to build the ark. Because judgment was coming upon the earth. See, the story of Noah is much bigger than a bunch of water and a flood contrary to popular belief, the world was not flooded because it wasn't taking care of nature. The world was flooded because we was off the hook. We were sinful, we were wicked, and did no one loved God. This story of Noah is, is bigger than the animals can march in two by two, hurrah, Yeah, you know, And there's something to be cheery and happy about. It's bigger than that. Because in the 6th chapter, we see that this is a story of rescue. In verses 11 and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Evil pressing in on all sides. Endangering, endangering this, the purpose of the family. And yet, Noah faithfully built an ark. He was obedient to the call to go. Noah was obedient to build the ark. He built it with one way in, one way out. Noah was obedient to to draw his family to go into the ark. He was obedient to get into the ark. In the story of Noah, God is calling a broken arrow And he's he's laying out the heavy ammunition to to break up Satan's hold and, and his attempt to destroy the purposes of the family. And God has chosen to rescue Noah and his family alone. We see that Noah and his family survives and God recommissions them to be fruitful and multiply. This is a divine rescue. But you know what? For the Israelites reading this, the disciples probably wouldn't even realize this after Jesus had ascended. They probably didn't even realize who the ark really was. Disciples of Jesus looking back on the text will recognize that, man, Noah was chosen by grace, just like we were. Man, Noah built an ark filled with many rooms. Jesus told me he's preparing many rooms. Man just as there is only one door in which people would enter man Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes unto the father but by me just as noah was invited into the ark so does Jesus invite them to be his disciples just as noah was kept by from the flood waters of judgment so are those who trust in Jesus. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just as Noah was commissioned to fill the earth with God's glory, so will Jesus when he returns and establishes his kingdom. Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the, the means and mode of rescue for this family. Jesus is the means and mode of rescue for us Because Jesus protects the family's purpose, you must look to him to rescue you from the flood of life. We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus for help. We look to Jesus for hope. And we look to Jesus for victory in and through our families. Because apart from Christ, our families have no hope. You just doing it on your own. If your family don't love Jesus, then you by yourself. If your family don't care about God, The flood is coming, and you're on our side of the ark. God is saying, come in right now through Jesus, through the door, right now. And for those who come, they will be saved. But for those who think they're big enough and bad enough to build a boat that can survive this flood that's coming, oh, I have news for you. God said that there will be one day where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus protects the family. The story of Noah continues. Then later in Genesis nine eighteen, there's another genealogy. This ge- genealogy begins with the sons of Noah: Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. One, two, and three. It's as if God is saying that the deliverance that you need actually begins with the triune God. And when we look at our families, we need to look to a triune God for a triune hope. And the hope comes from knowing that God the Father has a plan And he has established his plan that he will call the people in spite of themselves, no matter what they have done. And the word declares, even as he chose you and him before the foundation of the world, you know, before the foundation of the world means you ain't have time to mess it up. He says he has already chosen a people and he has a plan that he's working right now. So when you think about your family, think about that God has a plan. He will work a plan. He has a mission, and he has a purpose. I'm not in this by myself, and I ain't crazy. God has a plan. And when you think about the triune God, you begin to think about God the Son, Jesus, who took upon human flesh and came down and saved us. This same Jesus wants to come down and rescue your family. He wants to do a change in your heart, he wants to do a change in your husband and your wife and your children. You need only invite them in because he is the one that that bears the wrath that you deserve. Get into the ark with Christ. He is saying that right now, but God is saying that the triune God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to this situation too. Why? Because we jacked up. We messed up. We crazy. We need somebody to overcome our sinful nature. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, he transforms, he changes, he enlightens, he lifts up, he gives revelation, he gives wisdom, he gives hope, reminds you about Jesus. He teaches you. He leads you. He guides you. He supernaturally empowers you. So when your family is jacked up, all you need is to try you and God to speak to your situation. The family's purpose is to expand worship. The family's Purpose is constantly under attack. Praise God that Jesus protects the family's purposes. Let us pray.